Welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. We talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. That is so true. And we got some fresh intro music this week. Yeah, to introduce a fresh series. That's right. Yes, we both sound terrible. We do. We do. My <laughs> voice is, is, is struggling. Mm-hmm. Your voice is struggling. I'm I'm mostly better, but I can still feel it and hear it. Yeah. So mine's not sickness though. Mine's just overuse. Yeah. That's all the problem is. Yes. But the great news is that I am currently recording in bed. That is nice. Like a reclining princess. That is nice. We we made it work this time. We did. I can't oh. get used to the royal reclining princess treatment. <laughs> it's true. Nor would I want to, but this is nice. Well, you might want to. Maybe I do. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get too far down the road, you've got uh, some announcements for us, don't you? I do. Just a couple little housekeeping announcements. So first, we're going to announce the recipient of our June giving poll over on Patreon. All month long, subscribers on Patreon have been voting for which organization they would like us to support for the month of June, and they voted on RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. RAIN's mission statement reads, The mission of the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, the nation's largest anti-sexual violence organization, is to carry out programs to prevent sexual violence, help victims, and ensure that perpetrators are brought to justice. And so we are very excited to give to this organization. Yeah, wow, that one's really meaningful. It is. That's it's it's a heavy it's a heavy one, but I'm just thankful that people are out there really dedicating their whole professional and personal lives mm-hmm. to making a dent in the conversations and the actions surrounding those specific topics. So yeah. yeah. So thank you, patrons, for voting on that one. On the topic of giving polls, we have decided to switch from picking a new organization each month to picking a new organization each quarter or season. Mm-hmm. That way we can give more to each organization and we can really focus on each organization more intentionally. Yeah. So to get in on our giving polls, as well as gaining access to all of our content ad-free and exclusive full-length episodes, head on over to our Patreon and we'll be announcing summer giving over there in the next couple of weeks. And then finally, we just want to announce a little summer special series. Yeah. Summer is super busy for everyone, and that's been especially true for us this year. Mm-hmm. That said, for the next several weeks, we're introducing a new series, Summer Shorts. We'll still be releasing Ooh. episodes each Thursday, but they'll be much shorter than what we usually put out. Yeah. Because like straight up, it's just hard to find time to sit down right. and record and write and research and give every yes. story each week the amount of time that it needs yeah. in order to be told well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would rather take stories that maybe there's less information or they're just quicker stories to tell and focus on those for for summer. And so full-length episodes will still be available on Patreon Mm -hmm. uh, twice a month throughout this series. And we'll resume our regular weekly uploads in August. Yes. Well, we'll continue weekly uploads. We'll resume our regular full-length weekly uploads in August. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, those are the housekeeping announcements. Awesome. Well... Now that we've done all the housekeeping and everybody's, they're, they're chomping at the bit now. They need to know, what are you drinking? Well, so over on our Patreon episode this week, mm-hmm. I couldn't remember the brand of the like mixed drink that I oh, was yeah. having. Yeah. It was Clean Simple Eats. And it's basically like a kind of like a liquid IV, but it doesn't have sugar Ooh. or at least added sugar. I think there's like one gram of sugar per packet or whatever. So from the same brand, I also have their collagen drink. Mm, so I'm having nice. the blackberry lemonade collagen drink from Clean Simple Eats. Is it tasty? It's really good. Oh, okay. Nice. It's really, really good. What about you? 
I am uh, doing something very unusual for me. Yeah. And I'm drinking a soda, just yeah. a plain, straight, regular soda. But it's not a but plain, straight, regular soda. It's true. It is a diet Mountain Dew caffeine-free. And it is one of the strangest drink experiences I've ever had where I took a sip and I thought I hated it. And I was like, actually, it's not so bad. I think I love it. I think I like it. I took a second <laughs> sip and I was like, oh, I like it. And then I went, wait, I don't like this. And then I took a, a third sip and I said, I this is great. I like this in a weird way. So here <laughs> I am. Why do I like this? <laughs> drinking my third one of the week. Yeah. And likely one of my last, but still, I've enjoyed it. So, so you're savoring it. Yeah, I'm savoring it a little bit. Yeah. It's no, it's no strawberries and cream, Dr. Pepper. I mean, we got to be honest. Very about few that. things can stack up to that. But this one is actually not so bad. I like it. Good. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking. Perfect. Um, we also don't have a feel good fact as we usually do because mm-hmm. we're doing something a little different along with the summertime as well, right? Sure. Yes. Yes. And so normally, what we do on our regular episodes is feel good facts to like set a nice tone to kind of offset the terrible things that I tell people about. (laughs) And then on Patreon, we do headline hijinks, which like makes those episodes kind of fun and distinct from Mm -hmm. our regular uploads. And so for this, I thought it would be fun to do a recommend and a don't recommend. Yes. The only rule is that we can't recommend or not recommend something if we've never experienced it, tried it, et cetera. That's That's the only rule. And so I'll pick a topic and then one of us will recommend something and one of us will not recommend something. Okay. Okay, the so topic? the topic this week is horror movies. Great. And so topic. I've got to recommend. Okay. I have a feeling I, I have a feeling. So I'm recommending Outwaters. Okay. It is like a found footage mm-hmm. movie that you kind of think you know what's going on until things start really going crazy in the final act. And I think it is so brilliant. I think that the the, it was, I mean, it's art house. It's definitely experimental <laughs> um, yes. and it's got people on every side, like people who love it, think it's brilliant with its limited budget and with what the storyline itself is, etc. And then you have people who absolutely hate it. I loved it. Mm. I was absolutely taken by the sensory overload panic of the whole movie. I thought it was great. You so I recommend Outwaters. Mm. So then do I have to recommend or do I have to not you recommend don't, or do you I have to choose? You do not recommend something. Okay. So you are recommending. I do not recommend the movie Outwaters. <laughs> <laughs> I was like actually offended that you didn't like it. I'm like, okay, we, you just don't get it. We almost never disagree about movies I know. and especially artsy horror movies. We're usually on the same page, but this one, I, it, it left me wanting. I'll just say it like that. It left me wanting. And I got a little bit of that because I got it. They have like a bunch of little like mini shorts that kind of go along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but still didn't fully satisfy my need for the storytelling of it because it's more about the point than it is about the story. And I think that the the mystery and them not answering all of the questions made it scarier and it yes. felt more real. Like, like sure. it could actually happen. You want sure. the answers though. And I, I do understand I do want that. the answers. Even if I don't get the answers, it didn't even... It didn't even preclude or presume any answers. It just left you hanging with, well, good luck. And that part for me was a little bit frustrating. I'll say, I'll say. But not a bad movie. I don't dislike it entirely. I just couldn't be on the same page with you in recommending it. That's all. I'll give you that. Okay. I'll I'll be satisfied with us disagreeing there. (laughs) 
this time. So, okay, let's jump yeah. into the story. Yeah, let's do it. So today we're covering another true crime story. In the 1930s in southern Texas, in the small town of Elmendorf, roughly 15 minutes away from San Antonio, trouble was a brewing. A mm. young man with a penchant for bootlegging, gambling, and always getting his way was doing just that. A bottle of whiskey almost always in hand and handsome looks to boot, the main figure in today's story almost always got what he wanted, particularly when it came to the women that he was interested in. Mm. But beneath his suave veneer was a monster who never thought twice about taking a life. This is the story of the Bluebeard of South Texas, the Butcher of Elmendorf, the Alligator Man. What? This is the story of Joe Ball. Those are some crazy titles. Those are all nicknames for Joe Ball. But hang on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Already, I'm I'm sucked in with all of these nicknames, titles. Like, how does one earn three nicknames that are all like, what? Yes, yes. <laughs> So Joseph Ball was born on January 7th, 1896 to his parents, Frank and Elizabeth Ball. Years before, in 1885, Frank had moved to the small town of Elmendorf about 15 minutes or miles to the southeast of San Antonio, Texas. With the area beginning to be settled, Frank was a forerunner in seeing the potential of the area and ran towards progress and growth at full speed. Frank opened a cotton processing factory as well as taking up and selling uh, several farm properties in the region. When train tracks were built in the area, Frank's business took off and he became very wealthy in a relatively short period of time. Hmm. Within a few more years, the Balls began welcoming children and would raise eight children altogether. Overall, the Ball children were well-adjusted and went on to become staple fixtures in their communities. Joe was the second out of the eight children, and from a very young age, he showed no interest in playing with other children or in, I mean, he did have interest in some activities, but they were very specific. I always feel like I do need to qualify statements like that, though. Mm, Just yeah. because someone prefers to keep to themselves does not automatically mean that they will go on to become a horrible criminal. <laughs> like, I feel like I have to yes, make that qualifier. Yes. That's, fair. That's It's just important to keep in mind. But in Joe's case, his withdrawn nature and lack of interest in playing with others would come into play. Mm, okay. When yeah. he was very young, Joe preferred to blaze his own path and could regularly be found fishing and exploring the woods behind his home. As a teenager, Joe focused his sights on getting good with a gun. He hmm. would spend every free moment opting for solo target practice and was very passionate about firearms and marksmanship, and he gained a reputation for being an incredible shot. Really? Yeah. Oh. So on April 17th, 1917, the United States declared war on Germany, effectively opting to take part in World War I, and Joe Ball quickly signed up for the Army, excited to use his skills to serve his country. Joe did see action while he was deployed in Europe and was honorably discharged in 1919, and soon after he returned home to Elmendorf. Hmm. As the 1920s rolled in, so did Prohibition. Right. And Joe Ball, never one to miss out on a money-making opportunity, became a traveling bootlegger. Wow. Driving around in his Model 8 Ford with a 50-gallon barrel of whiskey that he sold to excited customers far and wide. Oh my gosh. A traveling so bootlegger is kind of cool. He's, He's an outlaw. Like an outlaw. That's, yeah. Yeah. A few years into this venture, Joe began a tumultuous on-again, off-again professional relationship with a handyman named Clifton Wheeler, who used his skills to help Joe around his house and with the bootlegging operation. Hmm. But despite the claims that Joe was a kind and helpful human, especially towards his employees, stories of Joe's bizarre behavior began to spread. He would apparently repeatedly shoot at the ground near Clifton's feet to make him, quote, dance the jitterbug, 
when he would get annoyed with him. Oh, he would just start shooting at his feet. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So once prohibition wrapped up in late 1933, Joe decided to open up a tavern so he could continue his business but this time legally. Mm -hmm. The tavern, which he named the Sociable Inn, operated in Elmendorf and boasted two bedrooms in the back and a bar at the front of the building. There was also a player piano and a few tables for patrons to come, drink, play cards, and get a little rowdy, Mm -hmm. which one would guess that that would be the setting. This is funny because so far the whole story is already very Western outlaw-ish. It has a feeling to to it. Yeah. Well, not, I mean, up, up to this point, not the end. I, we haven't heard the end yet, but it stays to that now. way. Does it? Okay. Yeah. It's very it does. interesting to me. <laughs> so while the sociable inn was pretty successful, and despite the fact that Joe was a member of one of the most prominent families in town, his reputation for being scary when you crossed him certainly preceded him. Well, I could surmise that from the shooting at your friend's feet. Yeah. There, but there dance. was like a weird thing where it was like, oh, Joe's so great. He would never hurt a fly. But like, he's also shooting at his... Yeah. Handyman's feet just yeah. for funsies, you know, mm. and like there, this story, I, I don't really talk about this at any point in the episode, but I'll take a second just to address it. This story is like shrouded in myth mm. because it wasn't super well recorded. Mm-hmm. And like anybody who was around at the time has since passed away. Right. Right. And so we're relying on a lot of second and third hand accounts. Right. Yeah. Naturally. So, Yeah. More so than a story even in the 80s yeah, where you can talk to someone who was there, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I do feel like there is a little bit of myth in this story and it's been hard to um, really report on a ton. Fair. So. That's kind of how the Wild West is though. True. We have a lot of myth that we've just kind of accepted into that culture. Sure. Or from that culture that we just kind of look at today as like, that's how it was. And it's like, well. Maybe, Maybe it wasn't rootin' and tootin'. It <laughs> Might could have been. been quite so rootin' tootin'. <laughs> <laughs> so on top of selling alcohol and creating an environment for folks to let their hair down, Joe hosted cockfights as a way to bring in more customers. Once the draw Jeez. of that wore off, Joe took things in a slightly different direction. So content warning. This next bit will mention animal cruelty, and so if you don't want to hear about that, go ahead and skip ahead a minute or so. So Joe noticed that in the low water areas on the outskirts of Elmendorf, that sometimes alligators would settle from time to time. This got him thinking, I really bet that people would like to see these guys in action. So he dug out a small pool behind the sociable inn, lined it with concrete, filled it with water, and caught five alligators that he put in the pool. What? Just five casual alligators. (laughs) In the name of public safety, he put up a 10-foot fence around the perimeter of the pool. Well, that's good. And so this is where things get gross. The alligators themselves did draw in a crowd for a short minute, but once the novelty of the alligators wore off, Joe opted to turn alligator feeding into a show. Mm. So once the excitement of that wore off, he set up a weekly feeding show for the alligators each Saturday. Mm-hmm. where he would toss any live animal that he would come across throughout the week Ooh. that he would like keep a hold of until Saturday. Yeah. And he would throw them into the pool. Yeah. Raccoons, okay. possums, puppies, kittens. Yeah, that gets a little gross. Like anything that was first, like he, if he had any doubt that it belonged to somebody, he would take it and feed it to the alligators. It was really brutal. <sighs> and like, they're just being alligators. Right. You know, they're just eating right. food. They're not trying to do anything. This guy knew that it was crazy to see. Yeah, it was you shock know? and awe. Yes, yeah. totally. So the oh. crowds loved it. Oh, no. Why would they? No. 
They Gosh. loved it. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So around the start of the Depression, Joe also hired dance hall girls to wait tables and entertain the patrons. Given the state of affairs in the United States at the time, a lot of drifters would come in looking for work, stay long enough to make a little bit of money before they would bounce and move on to the next thing elsewhere. And so nobody really batted an eye when waitresses would come and go pretty frequently. Mm -hmm. In 1934, Joe crossed paths with a woman by the name of Minnie Gotthard, or Big Minnie, as she was called. That was her nickname. Big Minnie. Big Minnie. That's a funny nickname. It is a nickname. (laughs) Minnie was described by Joe's friends as, quote, a bossy, displeasing, and obnoxious person, end quote. But she and Ball hit it off and took to running the sociable inn as a team, (laughs) and they seem to also have been romantically involved, at least until Joe met someone else. Ah, I also feel like I need to make another qualifying statement because I don't love that the friends were so crass about how they talked about Minnie when really she was just a woman who behaved very similarly to Joe. Right. But less violent. That sounds okay. She was an opinionated woman in the 1930s. Yeah. Really. So they just had opinions about her. So they had to call her bossy and displeasing and obnoxious. That was annoying to me. But yeah, that was a, that was a direct quote. So Mm. Dolores Buddy Goodwin, one of the younger waitresses at the tavern caught Joe's eye and the two of them began dating sometime in 1937, despite the fact that Joe had thrown a bottle at her and that bottle had scarred her face from her eye all the way to her neck. Oh, what? He like disfigured her face with a bottle. Oh, dude. Yeah, he was a jerk. So Buddy was close friends with another barmaid at the tavern, a 22-year-old young woman named Hazel Brown, otherwise referred to as Shotzi. And wouldn't you know it, Joe became interested in her as well. Mm. So it seems fairly obvious that Big Minnie was not a huge fan of Buddy, and she wasn't a fan of Shotzi by extension, and made sure to go out of her way to let the women know exactly how she felt. So it could be a pretty high-tension environment, and that would be until Big Minnie disappeared in the summer of 1937. Hmm. So Joe told everyone who asked that Minnie had gotten pregnant by a drifter and had run off with him, or that she had given birth to a black baby, and so she ran off in shame, an excuse that seemed to satiate the patrons and Big Minnie's family who came in asking questions, at least for the immediate moment. Oh, wow. Wow. Because culturally, that was a thing, especially in the South, which I'm not saying it is a good thing by any stretch. Right. But if that was a cultural norm, then I think it would deter people from asking questions at that time. Yeah. At least for a minute. Man, that is. It's really messed up. Really messed up to use as as a as a ploy just to get people to stop asking questions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's you can't judge people in the culture that they live in too far. I think you can do it. I was going to say, I think you can. But, <laughs> but you can't judge them too far to like, that's the world they live in. Mm-hmm. They, they're not, they're not acclimated to the awareness that we have today. So it's like the judgment that I have in this is that clearly 
as you were probably about to share with us, that is made up. Right. And that he would say that to her family. Mm-hmm. So anyway, keep going. I, I don't actually know this story, even though it maybe sounds like I do. <laughs> I've never heard this before. Okay, so it was pretty odd to some of the other staff that Big Minnie ran off and didn't bother to pack any of her clothing or belongings. That would be the first red flag, yes. Mm-hmm, that was. So given the fact that Joe was Minnie's last known employer and that they had been romantically involved in the past, Joe was investigated and questioned as a suspect in her disappearance multiple times over the course of the next year, but was ultimately ruled out due to lack of evidence of any kind of foul play. Hmm. So like, she must have just ran off. There's no... There's nothing else. Nothing but circumstantial evidence that Hmm. anything could be awry. Yeah, that is... It's tricky. Yeah. So in September of 1937, Joe and Buddy got married. And with the formation of such a sacred bond, Joe decided to tell Buddy his deepest, darkest secret. (gasps) This is a shock. Minnie hadn't run off. He had taken her to the beach and killed her, an act he only committed to stop Minnie from causing such a fuss in their relationship. That's what he said. Minnie was causing problems between Buddy and Joe, and so Joe killed her. Wow. That's what he said. So Buddy didn't really believe Joe. Like, there's no way that the man that I love, the man that I literally just married, could do something so horrible. And so they never spoke to each other about the matter again. Hmm. In January wow. of 1938, Buddy got into a horrifying car accident that she thankfully survived, but she was forced to have her left arm amputated due to her injuries. Oh. But as these things tend to go, rumors quickly began swirling through Elmendorf that one of Joe's alligators had gotten a hold of Buddy and tore her arm off, or that in a fit of rage, Joe cut it off himself. Oh, wow. Though these things actually weren't true, fuel was added to that fire when Buddy suddenly and mysteriously disappeared in April of that year, followed shortly after by the disappearance of Shotzi. What? Yeah. Oh, So boy. now three women are missing. Yeah, and they're all tied to him. Mm-hmm. Around that same time, a neighbor who lived close to the bar came to Joe to complain about the horrible smell coming from behind the bar and demanded that Joe would get control of it. Joe mm-hmm. then pulled out a gun casually showed it to the neighbor before explaining that they were simply smelling the alligator's food. That neighbor then apparently skipped town and nobody saw or heard from him again. Allegedly? Allegedly. Oh, wow. Yeah. As more staff came and went from the sociable inn, and in spite of the rumors surrounding the frequency of people coming and going, and how that could be correlated to the alligators in the pond out back, people continued to patronize Joe's business. Hmm. Weirdly enough, he kept his customers. In the next several months, police were in and out of the tavern to question Joe Ball. On top of the women and the neighbor missing, another barmaid, a woman named Julia Taylor, had also gone missing. What? It's really crazy. Just just not popping up anywhere else. They're just going missing and family's not hearing from them. Mm -hmm. So (sighs) Joe insisted that she left on her own accord due to personal struggles that she didn't fully divulge to him. And that was that. Two more of Joe's barmaids went missing, and sadly, we don't have names for either of these women, but it was the same as the others. They came in looking for work. They worked for a short time. Joe may or may not have been interested in them romantically. Then they disappear suddenly without packing anything. Joe would be questioned, and Mm -hmm. time after time, he was ruled out as a suspect due to lack of evidence. As a side note, Julia also didn't pick or didn't pack any of her belongings before she skipped town. Mm. It's just a lot of just, women all yes. not packing. That feels strange to me. Yeah. 
When September 1938 rolled around, one of Joe's neighbors came forward with an allegation that would blow the lid off of the case. The neighbor claimed to have witnessed Joe carving the meat off of a human body, which he promptly tossed to his alligators. Within days of taking this statement, police were approached by a Mexican-American citizen of Elmendorf who claimed that there was a barrel behind Joe's sister's barn that smelled horrible, like something dead was inside, and was constantly surrounded by flies. Mm. So this man encouraged police to go check it out for themselves. The following day, after they received the report, Deputy Sheriff John Gray and Deputy John Clevenhagen of the Bexar County Police decided to follow up on this tip but much to their surprise, the barrel behind the barn wasn't there. Oh man, of course. Mm-hmm. Timing, just perfect timing. The two officers asked to speak with Joe's sister and she told them that yes, Joe did keep a barrel behind the barn, that it was there the day before and that it always smelled like death and rot. Mm. The two officers went to go question Joe Ball again, believing that they finally had the answers in the ever-growing list of unsolved missing persons cases, seemingly all having connections to Joe Ball. Right. When they questioned him, they basically told him, look, Joe, we know that you killed these women, that you most likely dismembered them and fed them to your alligators. We're going to take you to San Antonio for further questioning. So interestingly, Deputy Clevenhagen was actually a longtime friend of Joe's. Mm-hmm. And so he didn't think much of it when Joe asked if they could all sit down and have a beer and close down the tavern before they left, since this whole process would probably take a while. They told him, sure. Why not? Let's have a beer real quick while you lock up. So Joe went behind the bar. He grabbed himself a beer. He opened up the register and pulled out a 45 caliber revolver from under the counter. As the officer screamed, don't, Joe Ball put the gun to his head and pulled the trigger, dying there on the floor of his tavern. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So very shortly after this incident, deputies from far and wide came to the sociable inn to gather all evidence that they could, since the chance of getting a full confession died with Joe. Right. On the property, they discovered that the alligator pond was surrounded by rotting meat. They also found an axe covered with blood and human hair. And so the working theory was that Joe had killed and dismembered his victims, feeding their remains to his alligators, but they needed more. You know, Mm -hmm. that's still just a theory. After all, there was Minnie, Buddy, Shotzi, Julia, two other barmaids, that neighbor, as well as a young boy who they believed all could have been victims in the case. That's a lot of people. That is a ton of people. Yes. So after securing the crime scene at the bar, the deputies went off to go find Clifton Wheeler, believing that he was the only living person who might have the information that they needed to give the families of the victims the answers that they deserved. Mm -hmm. They picked up Wheeler and brought him to San Antonio, where they questioned him for several hours. And after several hours of denying all the allegations against Joe, he decided he was ready to share the truth. He told officers that Buddy had told Shotzi that Joe had confessed to killing Big Minnie. After getting in a fight about meeting another man that she wanted to move away with, Shotzi confronted Joe about the allegations, which sent Joe into a blind rage, killing her. Wow. So this was all well and good, but they needed proof. The following day, Wheeler led officers to a location outside of Elmendorf near the San Antonio River, where he began digging. Soon after, a small pool of blood became visible in the dirt, followed by the distinct smell of death. In the makeshift grave, officers discovered two arms, two legs, and a torso, and nearby the remnants of a fire were discovered to contain skull fragments, teeth, and a partial jawbone. These were the remains of Hazel Shotzi Brown. Oh my gosh. 
Yeah, she was 22. So according to Wheeler, after the murder, Joe went to Wheeler and forced him to dig a grave at gunpoint. They transported her to her grave in his old booze barrel, and Wheeler was forced to help dismember and bury her remains as well. He also said that in regards to Minnie Gotthardt, that Joe had taken Minnie to a remote location near Corpus Christi, where Joe drank excessively as the two chatted. And once her guard was down, Joe shot and killed her because he found out that she was pregnant, most likely with his baby. Oh, wow. Yeah. He killed her because she was pregnant and he was married. I mean, he was married to Buddy and he had gotten Minnie pregnant. Oh, okay. Now the timing is making more sense. Yeah. Even still, wow, that is, oh. Or maybe he wasn't married to to Buddy yet, but they were very close. Yeah. He was, he had already established a relationship with Buddy. Right. So either way, that's, oh my gosh. Yeah. So Wheeler told police where to find Minnie's body and lo and behold, she was right where Wheeler had told them that she would be. Mm Mm-hmm. When asked about the other missing people, Wheeler maintained that he had absolutely no knowledge and no involvement in any of those other disappearances. In 1939, Clifton Wheeler was sentenced to two years in prison for his involvement in the unlawful disposal of human remains and opened up his own bar after his release. It didn't go super well due to his involvement with Joe Ball, and he quickly packed up and left town, never to be heard from again. So Mm -hmm. nobody really knows what happened to Clifton Wheeler. One of the most disturbing elements in this case is the the discovery made back at the bar. So tucked into a book were dozens of photos of various women, leading officers to wonder if all of the women in the photos were somehow victims of Joe Ball, but they were never able to prove whether that was true or not. Wildly enough, Dolores Buddy Goodwin was found alive and well. Oh, wow. She had started a new life in California and was thriving. And thankfully, she wasn't the only former employee slash lover of Joe's to be found alive. Uh, One of the unnamed women who had been reported missing was also found alive. Oh, good. It was also learned that the rotting flesh behind the bar was not human. Hmm. And Buddy even gave an interview stating that she didn't believe, like she really had no reason to believe that Joe ever fed anyone to his alligators. The alligators were eventually seized by the state of Texas and donated to the San Antonio Zoo. Uh, So due to its time in Mm. history and its infamy, it's hard to know if we have the full story in this case. Right. It's like, were there more victims? Right. Like a lot of people believe that there were more victims. Were humans ever fed to the alligators? Plenty of people sure think so. Yeah. So this story has cemented itself in the legacy of Texas true crime in a powerful way. So much so that longtime Texas resident and creator of the film The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper, (laughs) went on to produce a second film entitled Eaten Alive. In the film, a Texas hotel owner murders his hotel guests and feeds them to his alligators in his yard. Many see this as like a nod to the infamy of Joe Ball's story. Yeah. And so that is what I have for you today. Wow. Yes, that is, that's a crazy story. It is. And- I know that there's legend and myth around it, but Mm -hmm. just the things that are demonstrable alone Mm -hmm. is like, oh, dang. Like even just the two murders were so horrifying. Yeah. And I believe Clifton. I totally believe Clifton. Well, he he provided evidence. Mm -hmm. So it's easy to believe that. And also the fact that he he offed himself Mm -hmm. like that. Outed. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't uh, off himself. No, I'm talking about Joe. Oh, <laughs> like he offed himself yeah. in like, like such a dramatic fashion. Yeah. Like, 
there's a degree of uh, just the way that it all went down mm. kind of establishes the legend. It totally does. It totally does. He he absolutely eliminated any potential for us to ever really know for sure. Yeah. And, you know, who knows if how much he would have cooperated. But if he knew he was caught, especially because they specifically did mention, mm-hmm. we know you killed these women. We know you dismembered them and threw them in the alligator pond. Yeah. And then he decided to commit suicide. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. So like, what did he take to the grave with him? We'll never, we'll never know. Right. It's been over a hundred years right. or almost a hundred years. Excuse me. That's also crazy, man. Well, thank you everybody for listening to the unusual, unsettling and unsavory story today. If you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite listening platform and that you leave a five-star review. Those reviews help other people find this podcast. Make sure you are also following us on social media at this one is a doozy on Instagram and TikTok, and this one's a doozy podcast on Facebook. And you can also connect with us more directly over on Patreon. My love, tell them a little bit about Patreon. Yes. So you can follow the link in our Instagram bio or Facebook about section, or you can go to patreon.com slash doozy pod. And for $5 a month, you can support our show. Supporters over on Patreon also get access to polls, which we talked about at the beginning of the episode, as well as all of our episodes ad-free and exclusive content just for Patreon listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so hop on over to Patreon to get in on that. And with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thank another you. summer short doozy. Another summer short doozy. Thank you. Bye. Bye.